Hello, and welcome to the virtual service for Sunnybrook, Sunnybrook Christian Church. Whether you're at home quarantining, trying to stay safe for some of your family members, or just not in town or here for any reason, we want you to know that we are worshiping with you today. We love you, we want to serve you, and we're glad you're joining us this, this time in virtual setting for worship. If you need anything at all, please know that you can connect by either contacting the church office or any of our texts, our numbers, our emails. Um, but please don't hesitate to reach out in this time where sometimes we can feel a bit um, disconnected. So connect, if you can, with any of those ways, in any of those ways. Today we have the opportunity to hear from Jim on a topic that's really important. The idea that there is always more that we can learn and be in Jesus. And in that message today, we're following the gospel of Jesus. And Jim will talk about how we can, can follow that path of being more like him. 
the scripture comes from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then, after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. This has been the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sunnybrook. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, even though we can't be in person, we are still going to be in the Word, gathering around it um, so that these words might speak words of hope and truth and life into us. Uh, we're dealing with another one of the stories of Jesus, the events in his life in this series, the gospel of Jesus, what the Son of God did. And uh, we're in John chapter 2 this morning. You heard that actually read. And I couldn't help but think as we're dealing with another story of Mary and Mary's understanding and engagement and encounter with Jesus, what you and I get to at least get some insight into this morning is this. We don't know all that Mary knew. Remember a couple of weeks ago, kind of dealing with that song, Mary, did you know? I, I don't know all that she knew, but the conversation that Mary is going to have with Jesus here in our text implies that at least Mary knew something about him. So do you know the story about Jesus turning the water into wine? Uh, this is found in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, running down all the way through verse 12. It is only found in John's gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. None of them record it, which is interesting because John is the one that records that this is the very first miracle, and he records the place where it happens in Cana. I've been to Cana a couple of times. It's a rather small town. And maybe the fact that John twice records the idea of Cana, and he adds the phrase, in Galilee, meaning not a lot of people knew. You don't always have Capernaum in Galilee. You don't always have um, Nazareth, which is in Galilee. But, but Cana in Galilee means that this was probably a rather insignificant town, but it's a town where Jesus and his disciples and his mother at least, but more likely his family, are all there to celebrate a wedding. And then there was a problem. And there were six stone jars or stone containers um, holding somewhere between 20 and 30 gallons of, uh, of water or liquid. The fact that they're stone is a big deal. Um, if they were clay pots then they would be considered, which would be what the poorest of the people had. Uh, most homes would have maybe one of these jars. 
Um, they would borrow the rest for uh, the kind of ritualistic cleansing that would be needed at the time when you are celebrating a wedding. And when each person would come in, the water would be taken out of these jars and the people would be ritually cleansed. It, these are the jars that Jesus is going to use in his miracle. I don't know what Mary thought Jesus was going to do, but Mary knew enough about Jesus um, and, and I wouldn't just say his personality. No, Mary, if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were in Luke's gospel, the angel comes to Mary and says that the child within you is going to be from the Spirit, from on high. And so Mary understands that Jesus is different than the rest of his brothers and sisters. Jesus uh, doesn't have Joseph as his father, but God is his father. So I don't think what Mary understands or knows or even um, guesses at is that Jesus is resourceful. I don't know what she thought he was going to do, but for some reason, Mary goes up to Jesus in this moment of uh, a, a social catastrophe. Now, I, I know what you might be thinking. What is the big deal? <laughs> so we run out of wine. How many days does this party have to, the, the, it could literally go on for days. Um, and if you've not seen, or if you've not seen the TV show The The Chosen, um, it's available on YouTube. It's a great depiction of the life of Jesus that came out during 2020, and the the particular episode that deals with the uh, turning of the water into wine is is rather insightful. Um, there would be a tremendous amount of social shame attached to the family if they were to not provide the kind of celebration necessary to the point that scholars would actually describe that if a family failed to deliver with this kind of celebration, they could actually be held, not just in a degree of, of social shaming, but like financially responsible. You could be uh, held accountable in a court of law to bring restitution for not bringing about a kind of celebration worthy of this. So remember, we're dealing with weddings and marriages at a, at a, at a higher level than, than we understand them, especially in terms of the social stigma or the social shame that might come if you get this wrong. Mary recognizes this. We don't know who the couple is. And Mary then goes to Jesus and she speaks to him. John records, John chapter 2, verse 3, and when they had run out of and, and when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. And she goes to him. Again, I don't think really understanding fully what that means, but wanting to enlist his help, wanting to uh, lean upon Jesus, and basically believing at some level, here is the problem. Jesus with all that he has in store or available to him, he can solve this dilemma. No miracles have been done. But Mary knew something. I don't think I ever really stopped to think about, Mary, what did you expect him to do? And I don't think she was just complaining. She believed that he would do something. And she wanted to enlist his help in what she thought needed to be done. Now, what's interesting is, is that John doesn't leave it there. John doesn't say Mary went to Jesus and Jesus said, yes, mom, I'm coming. Yes, mom, I'll be right there. Yes, mom, what do you need me to do? No, actually, there is a very strong 
uh, conversation that Jesus is going to have. This, as, long as, the, as well as the situation that we see in Luke 2, there are some similarities where in Luke 2, if you remember, Jesus is left at the temple and Mary and Joseph come back and they almost with a, a degree of consternation say, why have you treated us this way? And Jesus responds back and I believe respectfully but respectfully as Jesus. And, and, and I want to give him not some latitude to do something wrong, but some latitude to speak words of truth that, uh, wow, um, I don't know if everyone should talk like that, but if you're Jesus, I think it's appropriate for you to talk like that. And, and Jesus literally says, you should have known, if you read the text right, you should have known where I was, you should have known that I was here. And, and that kind of uh, issue is actually about to happen between Jesus and his mother. Mary asks Jesus to help with a concern that she has, and Jesus doesn't run right to it. Instead, what Jesus is going to let Mary understand, the mother that he loves and the mother that he cares for. By the way, we're not going to ever really deal with Mary again until, in John's gospel, until the cross, where John will mention her again. But Jesus is, is going to say to his mother in a way, Mom, like, I know that you know who I am. I know you know where I've come from, but you've got more to learn about me. Yeah, Mary knew some things about Jesus, but Mary has to grow in her understanding of who Jesus is. It, it's almost like this, which would be a full 18 years after the temple encounter where he says to her, like, don't, didn't you know, you, you should have known, you, you, you did know, that I needed to be about my father's business. Think about that same, it, it's almost like a similar theme. Because Jesus is going to let Mary know, you are my mom, I love, respect you. But, and it's a strong but, Jesus says in verse 4, what has this concern of yours to do with, with me, woman? Now, it's hard to say that word woman without sounding condescending, and it, it, in our culture, it, it really is. To refer to especially a mom as woman or your wife as woman, um, it, it does. It comes across as disrespectful and, and, uh, and inappropriate. It, it doesn't have that same guts or angst in it, and so you, you need to remove. He's not trying to remove her, but there is something very specific that he doesn't refer to him as her as mother, and he doesn't refer to, to her by her name, but he refers to her as, as woman. And, and, and I think it's the statement that he makes. What has this concern of yours to do with me? He is helping her understand that the things that she is about as a mom and the things that she is about as someone who is not divine, is trapped, is somehow... Um, deeply involved in worldly affairs. No, I know, it's, but it's a wedding. But Jesus finishes off in verse 4, my hour has not yet come. The, the, the text seems to rather strongly suppose that Jesus needed to draw a hard line here. Mom, the things that you care about most are not what's going to govern my life. The, the things that you think are the most important are not going to be those things that govern my life. I need you to understand, Mom, that I will not allow your agenda or human agendas to dictate my agenda. And, and that's what you really get, that statement. 
what concern is this? Your concern with me. Jesus actually has a very similar conversation with a demon that has a request to him. And Jesus has almost the exact same phrase. What to you, in the Greek, it's what to you and to me. Literally describing, we're, we're, we're working out of two agendas here. Like, why, why am I listening to you? Why, why is your agenda? How does that have anything to do with my agenda? Jesus is speaking a very real and powerful, and I believe to his mom, a loving truth that is, I am listening to a voice. I am following a way. I am obeying God. And his instruction and his words to me are what is governing my life. It's not, hey, I'm 30, and so you need to treat me like an adult. No. It's, I am the Son of God, and I am following an agenda that cannot be manipulated or cannot be twisted around by, by your concerns or, in a, in a sense, by earthly concerns. Be careful drawing too large of a distinction between heavenly and earthly concerns, and I would say this, be careful pretending that there is no difference. We see this. Again, in John chapter 7, is um, John does some of the most interesting stuff. The other gospel accounts record uh, Jesus having some tension with his brothers and sisters. But if you read in John chapter 7, you kind of get a similar vibe or a similar feel uh, how his brothers did not really appreciate or understand who he was. So this is kind of a, at, a, at a future time where Jesus is getting ready to go celebrate the, um, the, the festival of shelters in Jerusalem. And in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, it reads, After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee, since he did not want to travel down to Judea, because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of shelters was near, and so his brother said to him, and, and there's some mocking here, Leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples can see your works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition, tongue-in-cheek, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then, see, this is John's editorial comment. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived. See the similar statements that he uses here in John 7 as well as John 4. He says to his brothers, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. See the difference of times? You can go and you can come because your agenda is a worldly agenda. I'm following a God-ordained agenda. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me, because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to the festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he said these things, he stayed in Galilee. Jesus is letting his disciples understand, much like in John 2, Jesus is letting his mother understand, my time has not yet fully come, and the, the times, um, uh, the, the timing of Jesus, or the hour that is to come, is a foreshadowing of his death. And what brings that about are the signs that he does, the miracles that he does. Mary is asking Jesus to do something. Jesus seems to know, if I'm going to fix this problem, it's going to involve me revealing in a public way who I really am. That is going to cause um, my attention being drawn to me and my hour is not yet fully come. I don't think he's saying, I'm not supposed to do it at this moment. He's realizing that once Jesus begins to do these works, the truth about him is going to get out there. He's not trying to hide it. 
but he is following a God-ordained plan in terms of how the revelation of him. See, we really struggle with why would Jesus wait for 30 years to start his public ministry? Man, I think he wasted at least eight of those, right? He could have started when he was 22. Jesus had a different understanding of time. He, at the end, John's gospel is going to record this, it is finished. The hour has come. I have accomplished everything that I have, I've been sent to accomplish. I have completed the work of God. And he did it in three roughish years. His time has not yet come. What, what, what does this problem here have to do with me? Um, that's why I, I decided to use as my title for this morning the difficulty of keeping Jesus in your back pocket. I'll tell you, um, I know what it's like to be Mary in the sense that I have an understanding of who Jesus is, and I can think of lots of different places where, where I could use him. I, I, I've got problems in my life, and Jesus, can you fix this? Um, I've got doubts in my life. Jesus, can you make yourself known to me? I've got questions. Hey, Jesus, can you answer me? And, and, and then, and this is where it gets even more complicated, and then I have my own agenda, and I, I think it's important for all of us to admit for Mary's agenda was the public shame that this couple was going to go through. And she thought that Jesus should care about it like she cared about it. And I know how she feels. Because there are so many ideas that I have. There are so many opinions that I have. And if you ask me, and, and, and we're having a real kind of a heart-to-heart honest moment I would confess to you that almost every opinion I have, now that I think about it, Jesus has the same opinion. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Hmm, I don't, that's true. Hey, Jesus, like, what do you think about our president? Huh, me too. Hey, Jesus, like, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? Huh, me too. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about what's going on in the world and how we're not taking care of the earth? Huh, me too. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about, and every time I have a thought, if I were to stop and really think about it, Jesus lines up with my thinking. In fact, I will confess to you right now, I cannot think of one thing where I am in complete disagreement with Jesus. I've shared this before. It's a sobering thought. Hey, Jesus, so what's your favorite football team? Huh, the Miami Hurricanes. Me, is that who you picked? Me too. See, we, we all can recognize at some level, sure, it breaks down. And, and we like to even say, like, I don't know if Jesus really cares about that. But on the, mat, on, the, on the important matters about what is going on in our lives, hey, Jesus, what do you think about the way that I'm treating my wife? Huh, yeah. Me too. I'm glad that you understand that the reason why I spoke to her that way or the reason reason why I'm not speaking to her right now, I'm so glad that you're in agreement with me. I'm so glad we're on the same page yet once again, Jesus. There is a danger in us when we are not really dealing with the truth of Jesus, when we want him to do little more than just to affirm our agenda. And do you see the problem that that creates? 
Do you see our inability to truly listen, our inability to truly respond? And maybe that's why you see here in John 2, Jesus' mother being told, not scolded, but definitely being told that the agenda of hers might not be on the same page as Jesus. Now, I'll tell you, I can't wait to find out. Hey, Jesus, if your hour had not yet come, why did you do it? And I'm sure he'll have some amazing answer. Um, I've even learned to just stop sometimes whenever I get a, a, a feeling or a, um, or a conviction or an opinion to just wonder, I wonder how Jesus would, um, would redirect my thoughts. I, I wonder how Jesus would, would confront me or help me see not just things from the other side, but from his side. I'm not looking for like a contrarian's position. I want to know what Jesus really thinks. And that's why the Gospels are so important that you and I look at them. It's interesting. Mary is going to respond because she had things to learn about Jesus. Notice how she responds in verse 5. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Do whatever he tells you. It's like she understands. It's almost like she says, I have said what I've come to say, and I leave it to the Son of God. I leave it to Jesus. Just do whatever he says. And Jesus does it. Take these pots, fill them to the top, draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they do that. They take it to the head waiter and the head waiter drinks it. It's like, wow, this is, this is, this is amazing. This, this doesn't make sense because the way that they would do it, and John records this, is that you start with the good wine so that as the, the, the festival continues, as the celebration goes on, and as people, according to John's gospel, get drunk, that is when you bring the inferior wine. But no, to, to show, um, I, I guess, the, the magnitude of the greatness of Jesus, um, he, he surpasses the wine that they gave at first, and he makes it even better. Um, there, there's a lot of, of, of questions about this being the first image or the, or the, first, uh, the first sign uh, revealing the divine image and who Jesus is. Uh, there's a lot of questions about whether or not this kind of lines up with the idea of Jesus uh, bring, being, being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. A lot of the messianic imagery of, of, of wedding and of feasts and, and all of that might be true. Really, we, we don't know. John doesn't really use that imagery as much and so I don't, I don't know if that's exactly what's happening but... When Jesus does choose to reveal himself, he does it incredibly. And, and John records that. This isn't just for Mary. It's, it's not just for the couple. This is what I love is that the miracle that Jesus is going to do here is going to be in agreement and in line with the will and the purpose of the Father. And, and so this is what John records in verse 11. See, the disciples are now going to know they're going to know enough about Jesus. Here, here is Jesus. Some of them have already begun to follow Jesus. But now all of a sudden Jesus is going to make, through this miracle, himself known to them. And so John records, Jesus did this. The first of his signs, and I want to come back and look at that word. The first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Can you see how, obviously, what's happening here is a whole lot more than just Jesus taking care of a 
um, a social awkward moment. This isn't about Jesus just taking care of a need that his mother was concerned about. No, what Jesus is doing is he is revealing himself. He is making himself known in Cana, in Galilee, so that his disciples might believe in him, that they might see him. It says here that he revealed, in, in, what is, in the instance that we see here, he revealed his glory and the sign is the miracle that happened. And the sign is kind of a key word that we see. It's not just John's term, but John's going to use it a number of times. This sign literally points to who Jesus is. And when we see the sign, it is revealed the truth about Jesus. I think that's why Jesus is saying, Mom, this isn't the right time. This isn't, the right, this isn't how it's supposed to be. For some reason, it ends up being how it's supposed to be. Jesus then does this and he reveals himself. And now the truth about him is going to start getting out there. This idea of sign is it's not just about the miracle, it's what the miracle points to. And so as we continue to, in the next few weeks, as we continue to look at what Jesus does and what Jesus accomplishes, remember that the miracles that Jesus does, they're not all referred to as signs, but the miracles that Jesus does are a demonstration of what is more important. And what's more important is not what Jesus did but who he is. This is why it's so important that you and I realize that we cannot take our opinions or our beliefs or our agendas and make them equal to Jesus's agenda. Because if that's true, then it's almost like what we're doing is more important than who Jesus is. But no, what Jesus does is, is good. His, his healings, his raising of Lazarus that's in this gospel, um, the blind man, um, the, when, when Jesus, the, the, the turning the water into wine, this is a sign of that which is greater. And that that which is greater is the presence of Jesus Christ himself. It's not about the wine. It's about the one who made the wine. And so it's so important that you and I look at the things that God does, that specifically the events in Jesus' life, and we don't get wrapped up or tied up in them because if we do, we miss the point. Because the point is not the sign. The point is not the miracle. The point is Jesus. And, and that's why um, it's so important that we do the math. That we, that we literally sit down and try to figure out, okay, Jesus, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And what is it that you're trying to do? Because here's what's interesting is that when all of us are, are thinking about Jesus and thinking about what he does, um, most of us get most of it right about Jesus, don't we? we? Most of it, we get most of it right. And then we forget how important the remainder is, the, the, the remainder of things. Because um, Mary is going to get a lot of things right about Jesus and she needs to leave a gap in her life so that Jesus can still instruct her. Her brothers in John 7, they know a number of things about Jesus. I'm sure they've heard the stories that their mom shared. They didn't have a gap. They, they knew Jesus so well, they didn't know how to listen to him. And, and by the way, that's the struggle with people, is they know so much already about Jesus. And by the way, a lot of those things could even be true that they fail to leave room in the gap. And, and so I just want to kind of illustrate this in a certain way. Um, if, if I were to ask you um, to kind of do some long division so you can see it there on the screen, how many times does seven go into 496? And the answer is 70 times. True answer? True answer. It goes into it 70 times. And so a lot of us get a lot of things right about Jesus. 
Is he born of a virgin? Yep, that's one of the seven. Um, did he have 12 disciples? Yep, that's two of the seven. Um, did he raise Lazarus from the dead? Yep, he got three out of seven. And there's so many things that you and I get right about Jesus, and then we get through to the end of those seven things, and then we go, I think that's about it. And we take Jesus, and we put him in our back pocket. I got him right where I thought he would be. I know the, the seven things that I need to know about Jesus, and my life, and my course, my direction is now set. Huh. But take a look at this. There's a lot in that remainder. My point is this, is that when we don't do the math, we can sometimes think we have it all figured out. How many times does seven go into 496? 70. True-ish answer. But there's so much in that remainder of six. Do you have in your life still room to be able to hear and to respond to who Jesus Christ is? Do you have in your um, heart the ability to admit that maybe some of the opinions and some of the conclusions that I have about important things in my life, things that I mentioned a little while ago about how I thought me and Jesus were the same, some of those are pretty important, some more important than others. Is there any room for Jesus, the leading of the Holy Spirit, to continue to, to move or to instruct? Or in the end, is, is Jesus just confirming everything that you already have because you think you've got Jesus figured out? 70. I'm telling you, I, I, I get it. I have a lot of Jesus figured out. I, I know enough about him to be able to surrender my life to him. And, and yet, what, what this gospel account reminds me is that i got to be very careful believing that I can make Jesus be the one who's going to fix my agenda. i, I got to be very careful somehow believing that everything Jesus has said, I've already figured out, and I, I don't know what, what, how much more he can add. A tremendous amount he can add. I would even help you see that from John's gospel, I want to just share with you a number of conversations that people are going to have where they're going to see amazing things that Jesus does. They're going to even recognize them as signs, and yet their minds and their hearts are completely closed off. John 2, 18, Jesus cleanses the temple, and those who will not deal with the truth about him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? They demand a sign. And by the way, Jesus loves giving them signs, and then right after he gives them a sign, they say, give us another sign. John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Truly I tell you, Jesus says to them, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, not because you literally saw what I did and got excited about me. What does he say? but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You thought that it was about the wine. You thought it was about the, 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 the bread and the, and the fish. You, that's what you're excited about. You're not excited about me. John chapter 6, verse 30, right after the miracle has been done. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? I just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And your response to me is, 
do something miraculous. Why? Because the need for a sign or the mind that is closed off to see the sign for what it is never leads to faith in God through Jesus Christ. John chapter 11, verse 47. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? This is right after the healing of Lazarus. What are we going to do? All of these signs are, we can't argue with him. He's just doing sign after sign after sign, revealing who he is. How do we stop him? I just, how is it that you see the sign and you just treat it for what, you, what it is? It's just the wine or it's just the food. Or how is it that you see what Jesus Christ has done or the claims that Jesus Christ has made and in the end all you want to do is to silence him? John chapter 12, verse 37. And even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. Hmm. Sign after sign after sign after sign. Have you ever thought, if I just saw a sign? I'm telling you. I, I have. The signs don't do it. They, they didn't do it back then, and I don't believe they would do it today. No, you would find an excuse. If it's your agenda, you'll find an excuse. If it's a hard heart, you'll find an excuse. If it's another sin that you want to commit, it's an excuse that you will find. You will find a reason to explain away the signs that God has made and revealed. And, And that is why what John tries to point out is that you will have those who will see the signs and respond because they point to Jesus Or you will have those who see the signs and they respond by trying to manipulate Jesus or silence Jesus or to kill Jesus. The signs have tremendous value, but they are intended by God to reveal the glory of the Son of God. His disciples have learned something about him, but the rest of John's gospel is them learning more and more and more and more about him. They're willing to say, I know, Seven goes into 496, 70 times with six remaining, and I'm, 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 I'm spending my life trying to figure out the six. That's what a real disciple does. John concludes his gospel with this statement. Actually, okay, I say John concludes his gospel. This is the end of chapter 20. That's a whole other story about how chapter 21 came to be. But John, um, near the end of his gospel, concludes with this statement. Verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs. See, there's the word again. Many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not even written in this book. But these, the signs that were written here, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That is the purpose of the signs. Not to fix the problem that Mary had, Um, not to demonstrate who he was so that he could vindicate what his brothers were saying about him, not just to heal the the servant's son in John 4 or the blind man in in, in John 9 or the cripple in John 5 or uh, Lazarus in John 11. All of these signs actually point to something that is so much greater, that the Son of God has come and his name is Jesus And that by believing that truth about him, which is such an important truth, then we find true life in him. 
And that is our prayer for us this morning. That we would be able to sit under Jesus. That we would be able to, like Mary, lift up concerns that we have and give them to him. And then here, you ready for this? Leave them with him. Remember what Mary said? Do whatever he says. There's nothing wrong with having an agenda. The question is, can we leave that agenda with Jesus? There's nothing wrong with you and I having opinions as long as we leave those opinions with Jesus and we still allow him and his word and his spirit that he sends to mold and shape and to direct our lives. And so it's at this point that I want us to come together as a congregation and pray. It's at this point in light of this text that I want to go back and I want to pray like Jesus would pray. And so you're going to see on the screen, and I'll be the leader, and you will be the congregation. I'm going to kind of lead us through the Lord's Prayer, and you will know what to read. I won't be reading it for you, but I would like for you to say these words out loud. You're the congregation, and I am the leader. And I pray that this prayer would be true, would be um, uh, kind of an exact representation of where our hearts are, are and where they're going, where we give these things completely to God, and may his way inform and instruct and be enough for us. Let's close our time in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. is finished the end is right.
as the service comes to a close, we end remembering who Jesus Christ is. We give thanks to him for his kindness to us and to his mercy that he gives, his mercy that he gives to us. And so we remember that Jesus Christ died for a reason. We spent some time this morning talking about signs and talking about what they point to. Um, the Bible refers to the sign, the miracles as signs, and uh, again, what we are holding in our hands are pointers. Um, they are reminders of who Jesus Christ is, and so it's never really about the bread or the cup, but it is about what they point to, because they remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus. They remind us of the need that we had for the sacrifice of Jesus. They remind us of the love that God had for us in the sacrifice of Jesus. And so as a church, we come together to give thanks and to remember his body given for us. And his blood given for our redemption. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your kindness to us in Jesus, for sending him and for receiving, Father, um, his sacrifice as the way in which our sins are wiped away. Um, Father, it is your plan. It's, it's not like we came up with it and asked you to accept it. No, it is a plan that you have come up with because you are, in fact, a God who is rich in mercy. And you are a God that desires, desires to be known as gracious and loving and forgiving. And so you gave us your son. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. We are hopeful that this uh, lesson and the time of worship and gathering around uh, the Lord's table um, was encouraging and um, informati informational, like you educate, you're educated, uh, that it was a blessing to you and to your family. Um, we also pray that you will be uh, encouraged and inspired to go out and to live your life this week in light of the gospel, in light of what you've heard, and in light of what you've tasted, in light of what you've ate, in light of what you've sung. And so in that you would continue to pray the Lord's Prayer this week and that his will would be done and that his kingdom would come. Um, we want to remind you how important it is um, that we continue to give to the mission of God. And we um, not just thank you, but we thank God for putting in the hearts of his people the desire to be joyful in our giving so that the kingdom might continue to expand. We love you guys, and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday.